there's good to it as well. And so it's really hard to say we should just ban it. But I, I do agree that it is a large attributing factor to mental health challenges. That being said, I, you know, I think that beating ourselves up about it is also part of the problem. Like we've created this culture where we're constantly telling young people that like, if you are constantly consuming content on social media, and if you are doing this, like you are bad and you're hurting yourself and you're hurting your mental health and all of this. And that mentality then around when you're actually consuming content of like, ah, oh, I'm wasting my time. This is bad for me. And so on might actually have more of an adverse effect than just like, okay, let me consume it and then go on with my day. Welcome back to the Super You Podcast. It's a podcast designed to unlock and unleash your inner superpower. I'm Jake with Equal Man Studios. We have a great episode for you today. Eric sits down with Milan Cordestani. Milan is the author of the number two Wall Street Journal bestseller, I'm Just Saying, a guide to maintaining civil discourse in an increasingly divided world, which provides practical advice and strategies for respectful communication. He is recognized as an expert on Gen Next, which are millennials, Gen Z, and Gen Alpha. He's also a three-time founder with a passion for building sustainable businesses that foster positive social change. And these companies include Noda, a narrative publication promoting civil discourse, Auto, a personalized career-building destination, and Gwyn Records, an artist-friendly record label empowering purpose-driven lyricists. Eric and Milan discuss Gen Next and how they consume content, the loneliness epidemic, and all things artificial intelligence. Thank you for tuning back in. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Super You Podcast, conversation between Eric Qualman and Milan Cordestani. All right, Milan, thanks for joining the Super You Podcast. It's super exciting to have you on today's show. Obviously, you cover a lot of things. You know generations, you know artificial intelligence, you know civil discourse. Uh, so I think our audience here at Super U is really interested in generations. So when we think about these different generations, are there anything that most people don't understand or are there any commonalities between, especially the younger generations as compared to say, Generation X or even now to millennials? Great question. So I think Gen Z is, is a native first generation. So they've grown up digitally natives um, and they are, we, I should say, I'm Gen Z, uh, you know, we struggle a lot with communication right now more than ever. And we're almost like this, uh, looked at as like this anxious generation, I think in a unique way, which is really, um, tragic in, in some ways, because we also have this like large loneliness epidemic that's going on. But I think that's one of the commonalities that Gen Z faces with other generations is that we're all kind of plagued by this new world of digital communication and the challenges that come with that. Um, the challenges that poses on, you know, maintaining a democracy, on creating connection with one another. And and that's one of the, I think, you know, unified challenges that we have to kind of fight together. <laughs> no, no, that makes sense. And what are, what are the names of the generations after Gen Z or millennials? What Or wait, millennials are Gen Y. 
And then so then you have Gen Z and then what's is it alpha after them or what are they called? Gen Alpha, I think that's what they get called until they have a new name, at least, um, or until they have some defining moment to give them a name. Um, but yeah, so we have, I think Gen Z right now is one of the most, is is the youngest and most relevant because I think they age, uh, the span of age is between, you know, around like 12 to 25 right now. And so it's this new age that's coming out of the our traditional education system and coming into this evolved workforce and facing some new challenges there. And then um, beyond that, of course, we have millennials, we have Gen, uh, we have Gen Xers, we have boomers, um, and so on. And the cutoff, I'm thinking decade-wise, to keep it clean, is that Gen Y goes to 2000. Anyone born after 2000s Gen Z, when does Alpha kick in? Is it So Gen Alpha, it's born between 2013 and 2025. Is alpha is alpha and then gen okay. z you have around this you know 1999 type to 2012 2013 um millennials you have around 1980 to 1994 uh, and then gen x you have around 1965 to 1979 and then you know if you're from the 40s and the 40s to 60s you're a baby boomer there you go. Boomers, baby. Okay, boomer. And then when we think about it is so millennials are 1980. They'd have to go to 2000 then, right? Or 1999. Millennials are 80s to the early 90s or, you know, mid 90s. They don't go out. And then so then because you mentioned that the other generation then kicks in at 2000 or 99. Uh, 95. So, okay. It, I mean, you know, that's kind of a loose term, but yes, generally like what the, what the internet and what the world would say is millennials is like 1980 to 1994 and Gen Z is 1995 to 2012. Okay. So it depends on what you look at. Different people have different barriers and what like the bands on how they have it. And then people that are experts, they want more generations because it's more money. Uh, I've got a bunch of friends that deal in generations. So they, they try to get more and more generations, shorter spans, which makes sense. It's somewhat because of marketing. But uh, that's all good. And then so when we think about it, when we think about alphas, are they different than Gen Z? Gen alpha is different than Gen Z. Um, I mean, they're they're much younger is to, you know, is the starting point. Like some of them don't even exist yet. They'll be born between 2013 and 2025. So they're they're a much younger generation. No, exactly. And then so we've got an election coming up, but in switching gears a little bit to artificial intelligence. Well, actually, before we do that, I want to double click on something you mentioned. So you mentioned uh, loneliness is a big deal. And loneliness, is that for certain generations in particular? That'll be the first question. Is it a specific generation or is it all the younger generations that are lonely? Or is it going up to Gen X and, and boomers? So I think it's predominantly Gen Z um, and and millennials as well, but it's it's heavily seen among Gen Z individuals, and then it, it includes millennial, but it tapers down as you start to get older um, to the generations that don't communicate as much digitally. And it's this this data is pre-COVID as well, um, so it's not it's not just the pandemic-induced um, uh, loneliness epidemic, and it's heavily in Western cultures, less in Eastern cultures. And what that specifically means is that in cultures that are more individualistic, where you are kind of pushed to go out and make your money and survive and, and um, kind of build a life on your own, rather than a, a culture that is more community focused of like taking care of family, being a part of your community, not leaving and venturing out so much. 
um, you know, there's different pressures from each type of culture, but in our Western culture, it's this, this loneliness epidemic, which is, um, problematic, you know, it ends up creating lots of mental health issues. And then you end up with this whole, um, drug and opioid crisis. And it's kind of like a cascading problem. (laughs) Is there a definitive cause for the loneliness? Uh, No, there is not a definitive cause for loneliness. I mean, there's, there's results that they see of it, uh, which was like what I was mentioning, mentioning of like the mental health, um, mental health issues that come from it. But no, there's no direct point pain point. Uh, I tend to attribute it predominantly to digital communication um, and the challenges that exist there. And, you know, that you start to see other data points arise, like Gen Z has uh, less sex, for example, than generations before them in the same age range, uh, which is really interesting, right? In an era of like all these dating apps and access where you think it's easier than ever, um, there's actually more more division and challenge and connecting with people than ever before. Yeah, no, for sure. And who knows, we'll figure it out on why the loneliness epidemic is increasing. It could be we're working remote, so they're not seeing as many people. A lot of 50% of people met their spouse at work. And so maybe that's part, as you mentioned, that sex is down for for the younger generations. Um, They're not meeting up in person, possibly. They feel like that they're meeting when they're just on these digital devices. Uh, that that feels like they're meeting with her, but they're not physically meeting up. So it'll be interesting. But also, too, is that you've got home entertainment systems that are much better. So a generation like mine, Gen X, where you go to the movies every weekend, it's like, well, maybe don't go to the movies. You have this shooter situation. So do you go out of the house? Um, it's actually cheaper and you've got better sometimes quality at home. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Now, when we think about these digital tools, they can kind of bring you together when you've got safety, time, distance, you can stay connected, which are good. But do you think we're doing the younger generations a disservice because suicide rates are dramatically up, especially for teenage girls? Uh, do you feel like the government's or, or letting us down somewhat on these digital tools that when you think about China, they just came out with if between 6 a.m. and 10 p.m., that you can only use the devices for two hours if you're under 18, and you can't use them if you're under 18 from 10 p.m. till 6 a.m., and you can only use them for two hours. So do you think that we should institute something similar, that we're basically letting these teenagers drive around without seatbelts on in their cars? Like, what do you think the solution is when it comes to these digital tools? It's hard because like as a free country, like we're kind of anti creating laws that would regulate your usage of a, you know, a technology or access to the Internet. But I do agree with you that we especially for the younger generations, it's it's important to create better habits around our consumption, especially because you end up becoming, uh, you know, as a young person, if you're just constantly on these tools, you become the person who's constantly consuming and not creating. And at a young age, you're you're generally pushed like that's the reason you're in school is to push your boundaries on what you're capable of creating and gaining new skills to be able to create and um, create value in this world, whether it's in the form of a job, whether it's art, whatever it is you end up going on to do. And so spending hours endlessly consuming is is not a benefit um, to anybody, truly. That's so true. I guess sticking with the metaphor of the car with the seatbelts, it's sure there's a law around seatbelts, but when's the last time someone got a ticket for not wearing a seatbelt? Is the cop really driving by, peering down, on these kids in the back seat to have a seatbelt? Absolutely not. But it's up to the leaders and parents to understand that whether it's a seatbelt in the car, that's how you get those habits to wear that seatbelt. Or to your point, is habits on how to 
how to use these tools properly is really you can't rely on the government to come out because even if they came out with a law that they did in China, is it going to be enforceable? Is it enforceable? And probably not. It's really difficult for them to enforce that stuff. So we'll see what happens. Well, China's interesting because they can enforce it using social currency, right? Yeah. Like in, they can track your data usage and then, you know, dock your points like a credit score on your social currency within the country. So it's it's much more complex than the U.S. just saying, like, we want to regulate child usage of social media the way that China would, because they their means of regulating it are so much stricter. Yeah, I guess a good solution I think about now we're talking is that you could push it down to the Facebooks of the world, to the TikToks and say, hey, you're going to get a heavy fine if you allow these kids on at certain times or if you if you decide to. Do you think these tools should be age gated so that they age gated it, say that, hey, you have to be 15 before you can use TikTok, before you can use Instagram? And then really the onus is pushed down to the companies. If you want to deal in the U.S. market and you want to reach the U.S. market, these are the parameters. And if you break this rule, then you're going to you're going to be levied a heavy fine if there's a kid that's under 13 that's using these tools. What are your thoughts on on that approach? I think that's a, a fair approach. I think that tools like Meta right now have aged restrictions for 13 years old. Plus, I think TikTok might have just put in a similar restriction. I mean, it's not to say that kids won't go and just put in a fake age and get around it, but um, nonetheless, I think that helps. And, the, the, you know, I think that I've seen advertisers like on Meta, you're not able to advertise to anyone under 18 unless you go through a significant amount of checks with the company and, and you know, provide clarity on what you're advertising. So there are some, you know, some barriers in place to protect young people. But at the same time, it's it's one of the forms that people communicate now. And I think that there's good to it as well. And so it's really hard to say we should just ban it. But I, I do agree that it is a large attributing factor to mental health challenges. That being said, I you know, I think that beating ourselves up about it is also part of the problem. Like we've created this culture where we're constantly telling young people that like, if you are constantly consuming content on social media, and if you are doing this, like you are bad and you're hurting yourself and you're hurting your mental health and all of this. And that mentality then around when you're actually consuming content of like, ah, oh, I'm wasting my time. This is bad for me. And so on might actually have more of an adverse effect than just like, okay, let me consume it and then go on with my day. Um, so it's it's really complicated, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think it's like you mentioned a balance like, hey, you need time to unplug. I guess it's a bad term because you're plugged in. You need time to just kind of a break something mindless, whether it's fantasy football, whether it's uh, some Pac-Man game or some mindless app game that we all need breaks. It could be Wordle, which well, that's kind of mentally stimulating. But it's really you need to kind of can't be go, go, go all the time. So maybe a better approach is hey, yeah, use these tools, but limit your usage to like 20 minutes, enjoy it, and then know that it's just kind of letting your mind kind of go free a little bit in a different way. Um, so that's fascinating. That's fascinating to look at it that way. Because I know there are studies when I was first writing socialnomics, there were studies that showed the people that took a break, but went to say Wikipedia or went to Google something that they're actually more productive than those that didn't. So it wasn't like you're walking around behind them as a boss and say, what are you doing on Google? Just randomly Googling stuff. It's like, well, I'm taking kind of a quote unquote smoking break. You're not yelling at the person that just went outside to smoke for 10 minutes. This is kind of my smoking break. And 
there was studies that showed that those people, it gave them the break that they needed and then they continued on with their day. So that's kind of fascinating. Now, switching gears quickly, uh, it relates though, when we think about social media and I already mentioned AI a little bit, artificial intelligence. What are your thoughts on AI? Underhyped, overhyped, um, go. Okay, I think it is, uh, in terms of hype, I think it is worth all the hype. It deserves a lot of attention. The amount of progress we've seen in AI um, in the last six months, one year is incredible. And I think that regulation for AI is incredibly important. Specifically, I'm a big advocate for transition periods for jobs that are at risk. And I think that what the government needs to do is create um, an AI act that actually specifies that industries that know their job forces are going to get replaced. I'm talking about companies that are worth like over, you know, $5 billion um, that know that a lot of their workforce, whether they're in manufacturing, whether they are in transportation or whatever, know that their workforce of humans is going to get replaced by AI or robots in the next one year to labor, label their workforce at, as at risk and um, create these transitionary periods where we start to reskill and upskill these talent forces towards new industries where jobs do exist. Um, and I think that all that to say, AI is incredibly powerful, incredibly useful. And uh, I think that, you know, it's it's going to be important to regulate and ensure that we're not, you know, replacing all the functions of, of humans uh, entirely, but the ones that we are okay with, you know, we ensure we have a, a plan for, you know, how to how to ensure that they are employed and find meaning in life. No, and then I'm, I'm, let's say I'm sitting across from you, you bring this up and there's a conversation, like we should put this, we're at risk. And I'm sitting here, I'm at General Motors, I'm Mary Barra, and I'm like, look, there's two open jobs to every one potential candidate right now in the United States. There's two open jobs for every, for every individual one candidate. Person? But for any of for this is in total, like if you're unemployed, there's two open jobs right now. Now, you might not be skilled enough to fill that job, but there's only one person to fill those two jobs. And so I'm Mary Barr, and I'm like, well, if I put at risk, so in one, she might go, like, let's just go back like 10, so it's easier for people to understand that don't understand AI. If you go back 20 years ago, there's some mechanical robots that are going to take the painter's job. So there was a person who used to paint the cars on the line, but then they determined that robots are much better at doing that, and it's cheaper long-term to do it that way. Um, and it's safer because they're not, in, you know, inhaling these fumes of paint. And so for Mary to say, well, if I put at risk, we're already having a tough time filling these jobs. So that's why we're having to move offshore to Mexico to develop these cars. If you do that to us at risk, then there's going to be people that are just going to say, why would I go into that if it's only going to be around for a year? Then they have a, a, a harder time to fill that role. So. I mean, what would you say to her if she's across the table and that was her argument? Yeah, I mean, it's, I would say don't go into that industry. <laughs> I mean, it's the truth. I mean, because like, for example, Uber, they've been talking about- Don't go into that industry for the employee, for the potential employer. Employee. The potential employee, but for the employer, right. if they're the one thinking about, you know, automating their, their workforce out of humans, then I don't see it as a big problem, right? Like, curious, like what is the concern that you see for the employer? I think it's an issue in the short term because the employer, Mary Barra GM, you just said that I have to put this as an at-risk position, that we're going to replace these people with automation in the coming two years. So in the short term, all of a sudden, I've already had a tough time getting employees as it is, and that's why I've already offshored it to Mexico. Is that now you're actually going to put a label on this so that now it's even more difficult for me to get these people to work the line? Um, 
So that's what I was just asking. If you're sitting across from her, she's probably yeah. like, hey, I'd like to help these people as much as possible. I don't know if that's the best path forward. That's a good point. I mean, I think that these transition periods are going to be tough. It's not, you know, I, I kind of am thinking in the best interest of the employees uh, and the people that will be displaced because I, I imagine they're just going to get laid off, you know, with like one or two months notice maybe from these large companies. And that's going to be really challenging, especially if they're not pointed towards a new direction to reskill them. So I would, I think I would suggest that these employers perhaps say like, look, come, come and work. And in the meantime, we're also going to be supplementing your work with some sort of education that is going to help you reskill either within the company, because there's pro there's probably other opportunities within the company that won't be replaced by robots anytime soon. Um, or, you know, just useful, useful skill-based uh, education that is going to be applicable to whatever industry or job you go towards next. Yeah. And then there's a lot of parents that listen to this show. And so if you were to advise some of the younger folks today, are you seeing which industries you think are going to display, be displaced by AI the most? Like which roles would you say, don't go into that role because that's going to be, and we don't know if it's a year from now, two years, but which ones are most at risk in the short term being displaced by artificial intelligence? So transportation is one, manufacturing is another, um, and and those are broad, right? Like I'm, I say transportation, and I'm saying you know from the truck driver all the way to the Uber driver, like those are not where you want to be gravitating towards. And what I would suggest gravitating towards is actually more creative uh, type of work. And that might sound like it's not a, a well-paying job, but what we've been seeing is that with AI, all of a sudden, it's not the the screenwriter that's so important, the person that can write the first draft, because AI can now write your first draft for almost anything, or it can design your first draft, or it can write your first, uh, you know, a hundred lines of code. What your your the new skill set is editing. How do you take that and actually tailor it to the applicable use case that you need? And so that requires a lot of creativity and a lot of um, imagination to come and say, what is the app that I want to build to solve this problem? Okay, writing the code is not that hard. I just need to describe how it works and the mechanism for it to AI, and it'll generate that code for me. Um, it, that becomes incredibly important. So communication, being able to articulate your thoughts, writing, I think is is a huge, um, is one of the most valuable skills, I think, to, to be cultivating right now. Because if you can articulate what you're thinking to AI, you can generate almost anything in, in our new um, our new economy. So. Yeah, I think that's the key is that AI is not going to replace your job. Someone that knows how to use AI is going to replace you. Uh, are there tools out there? Obviously, people are familiar with BARD, Google BARD, and then ChatGPT, which is also integrated in Bing. Are there other AI tools that we in the general population should be aware of? And what are they and what do they do? Ooh, there's so many. <laughs> uh, they pop up daily. But so I think Canva has done a really good job integrating AI. And what that means is like you can now create presentations, you can create decks, images, illustrations really easily, almost easier than using Dolly or, um, you know, there's, there's tons of options out there, but Canva I think is a really good one. And there's lots of these tools that you could even go and start monetizing that skill set of like, I will generate you a pitch deck on Fiverr for, you know, $10 a deck and, you know, $10 for four slides or something like that. And you can do that pretty instantly now. So there's there's lots of ways that you can monetize the skill set of leveraging AI that I think um, are pretty incredible. But 
yeah, the integration of AI in existing tools, I think is helpful. So Google will integrate it in Google Docs soon. Notion is a tool that I use every day and they've integrated AI in, in their tools. So that's really helpful. And Notion, uh, I've heard that other people use that, like Scott Galloway. What what's um what's Notion? Is that for writing or I use Notion to organize my entire life. And uh, I, I, a lot of people do too. If you Google like productivity systems on YouTube, you'll find like hundreds of Notion videos. But basically it's a giant notebook where you can create tasks, you can organize your thoughts, um, you can create journals. Really, you can, you can create websites based off of Notion, but it's super, super user-friendly. It's like using an easier version of Microsoft Word. And, um, you know, you could type in like backslash bullet points and then it'll pop up bullet points for you. So you don't have to go like find where those are and so on. Um, it's, it's a really cool no code uh, toolkit that you can use to, you know, take notes, organize your thoughts and create a second brain as, as we call it in the productivity world. So does it replace say an Evernote? Ooh, that's a great question. So Evernote is better because it has uh, in one capacity because it allows offline access much better than Notion. Notion is predominantly online. Um, so you kind of need to be connected to a Wi-Fi for it. But I think that Notion is much more complex in the feature set that it offers. And so with Notion, like the reminders that you can create, the, um, the databases, the interlinking between pages, uh, all of it is just really... I don't know. I think it's really well thought out and really, really easy to organize. Evernote, I, I actually think Evernote is a bit easier to use than Notion, but I think that Notion has more growth for you. Like if you yeah. want to get more out of your notebook over time, uh, I think Notion is the, the place to be. So is Notion also a calendar or is it just it's replacing, it's more note taking like a word or is it actually using AI to help you do stuff, be more productive? How does it work? So for example, I could create 10 pages within a, let's say notebook, and I'll call that notebook, um, let's say startup ideas. And each of those notes will, let's say is a different startup idea that I have. And let's say I want to create each of the, these ideas over the course of the next decade. And I assign dates to them and they're all listed in a list. I can then hit create a calendar view of all of this. And then it'll show me all of those same pages in a calendar view now. And then I could hit another page and say, okay, show me this in like a Gantt chart. And it'll generate all those same pages in a Gantt chart. So basically what Notion does is it allows you to create all of these like properties that are associated to each page that you generate. And those properties allow you to then be able to search through all your pages in really easy ways, organize those pages in really useful ways and see them all in unique views um, so yeah, that's, that's why I, I think I like it is those, is those properties that are associated with each page. It does. I'm wondering if it, and they might not have it, the capability yet, but I can see like when you said, so if I'm writing a book or books, I got three book ideas that I want one done by 2025, one by 2027, I put in this, is what the book's about. it will be very helpful for notion just to work on my behalf to look for articles rather than me put in Google alerts for certain keywords. So if I'm writing a book on focus, that it actually goes and just grabs that information, starts to stockpile it. So there's a tool you can clip from basically anything online that you find. So when Google alerts send you an article, you can capture that and it'll capture that it'll send that directly to notion 
and organize it in a giant database. And then you can go back and look through that database, sort through it. Um, you know, I don't think you can have it go to the link and pull the information using AI, but you could, you could copy all of the content from that article, paste it in Notion and tell it to summarize it based off of what the rest of the page is about, or like, what are the key points from this article that are worth summarizing based on, you know, the general context of the rest of this chapter, let's say. No, that's fascinating. So there's plugins that work with Notion. So we'll keep an eye on Notion out there in Canva. That's a good suggestion. Uh, a lot of people have used that for years or listeners. So a lot of these tools and you're spot on, it's they're going to use the AI they might not even be aware of, but then all of a sudden the tool that you've been using becomes more robust, makes you more productive because they're using on the back end, whether that's a HubSpot, it's also using a lot of AI to help with their CRM system. So fascinating times and fascinating stuff. And as you mentioned, like you can't go out and just crawl this stuff because one, there's some legality coming down where New York Times is saying, hey, you can't crawl any of our information right. for AI. You better not be grabbing this and scraping this to, to feed your AI machine, otherwise you can get sued. So it's gonna be a wild west here and see how this plays out. Um, as you mentioned, whether it's social media, whether it's AI, we go through these periods and they can last sometimes decades because you know life's long, but we go through these like uncomfortable areas where we got to try to figure this stuff out. Now, just staying one last question on AI, then we'll start to wrap things up. Uh, presidential elections coming fast and furious. There's a lot of concern around AI that there's going to be a lot of, uh, you thought there was fake news on the last election that this generative AI is just going to crank out constantly all this information in your feed that might not be actually true. Uh, that's right. going to be just, crazy because there's really no guardrails in place right now because this thing's moving so fast um what are your thoughts do you think that it's gonna be a mess that a lot of people predict you think it's gonna be less messy is there anything we can do to solve for it it's so easy to trick young people is the is the truth and i think that the older generations are really good at not just seeing what they seeing information on the internet or social media and believing it um, and instead they go after sources they trust and there's good and bad to that. Right. But like they go to Fox news or they go to the New York times or they go to CNN and that's where they get their information. And so there's some, not all, not all, that's not perfect, but there's some amount of checks and balances there. There's some amount of humans making sure that it's like, you know, there's the information that's going out is, 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 I don't know, regulated and is real or reliable. So I think that that is the recommendation is to find sources that you trust and that you believe are going to have your best interest at mind, uh, in mind and aren't hopefully going to just be an echo chamber for you either. But, um, you know, maybe it's good to have a few sources that you trust to get information from and to, to use those and to not just trust whatever you see from this like instant communication world that we live in, where someone could just like put a viral video out saying, you know, spreading misinformation about something and letting it go viral. So, you know, having your trusted sources, I think is incredibly important. I think that's really smart. It's funny, just history repeats itself because no one listens the first time. Just look at back 20 years ago, when you talk to generation, older generation, like bloggers, why would I blogger? I'm not gonna read a blogger. Right. And then I, I mentioned like, no, if the blogger's more trusted source, that is the key. That's how you win yes. long-term. The people that will win is who can I trust with my data and who can I trust when I'm getting information from them? So it'll be interesting to see, agree 
on that front. So speaking of trust, obviously you're very successful. Our listeners don't want to hear advice from successful people, but I want to know is what's the best advice you've ever been given? Most recently, the best advice I got is to stop listening to other people's advice and to trust your own intuition because it's endless, the amount of advice that you get from people. Um, and it's always contradictory to like other people's experiences and so on. And you kind of have to just like develop this internal philosophy on what you believe in and your ability to be this lifelong learner, change your opinion as you grow. And those are the only pieces of advice I think you should take from people are like the healthy mental frameworks that you can take on and build as part of your own, like individualized philosophy on how you show up to the world, wake up in the morning and so on. So it's kind of like ignore all of the constant bombardment of information and advice and, and kind of learn to trust yourself and, and the habits and the frameworks that you create for your, you know, for your mental health and that's great. And then for you, is there going to first principles for you? Like you said, take that advice that's personal related to you. Right. On a daily level, today's successful if I do this. What's kind of your mantra in terms of like today's a success if if I just simply do this? If nothing else happens, it's fine. But if I do this, then today is a success. There's so many things I do every day that to me are like successful, but like, like for one of them is like getting up and going and working out before my day starts. And the other is I try to have a two hour writing block twice a week, for example, that happens first thing in the morning. And that to me is like an indicator of like today is a success before it's even 9am because I spent the time writing for two hours or I, um, you know, spent the time getting ahead or working out and so on. So those are, those are my ways of like viewing the day as success um, but I have so many mantras that I, you know, uh, that constantly echo in my head. And one of them is just like act as if it's possible to radically transform the world every single day. Um, because in, in that part act as if, because it might not be possible and you might not believe it's possible some days, but every day you have to act as if it's possible to achieve your dreams or create the life that you want for yourself. And you know, the consistency is all I know is what gets you there. So. No, exactly. Like just Bezos will say that stress isn't caused by action. It's caused by inaction. <laughs> Meaning if you're right. sitting there hoping for the world to change, that if you're not doing anything about it, that causes stress, where if you're doing it, like you mentioned, it might actually not, you're not gonna be successful all the time at doing it, but by actually doing something, Thing about it, it'll actually help reduce the stress. And more times than not, you're actually going to make that change happen. So that's awesome. That's great advice. Uh, what about apps? So aside from the, everyone wants to know like good apps for their phone. So not the basic ones like Maps and Gmail and, and right. Twitter. But what what's a what's an app that you wouldn't that you use that you'd recommend to people? So I'm going to double down first on Notion as being this great app because you can like one of the greatest stress relievers is capture thoughts that come in your head and put them somewhere to, you know, triage them later. And that that relieves stress. It relieves feeling like you have to remember tons of things in your head. Keeping lists is amazing. And Notion is a good place to do that. Um, but the second app I would recommend that I think is unique and maybe no one's mentioned on your show yet is this stoic app um, and s-t-o-i-c period uh, and it's a great app where you can put widgets on your phone that will surface new stoic wisdom every single day um, different cadences it could be a new one every hour every three hours 
every day. Uh, it will create journaling prompts for you. It will create new types of reflections. Uh, it is a it is an incredible app that I have found quite useful. I like it, Stoic. That's awesome. That's great. The Stoics definitely have great advice. Uh, any other parting words as we wrap up the show here at the Super U? This has been an amazing conversation. So any any parting words? Um, I guess my, my parting words are that mantra, you know? Act as if it's possible to build the life of your dreams and become a Super U. <laughs> love it. Love it. Love it. No, it's been fantastic. Thanks for, for the time today. Uh, and hopefully I have that show again. I really enjoyed the conversation. I learned a lot and I know our audience will as well. And it's always good to hear across the board your advice and, and expertise on the generations and AI and also discourse is fantastic. So really appreciate the time. Thank you for having me. I hope to talk again soon. Peace. So thanks again for listening to today's Super You podcast. Again, it's a podcast designed to unlock and unleash your inner superpower. And if you want to pay it forward, make sure you go post a review for the Super You podcast because what that will do, it allow others that aren't familiar with our podcast to discover it. And hopefully that allows them to unlock and unleash their inner superpower. So that's it for today's show. I'm your host, Equal Man, reminding all of us, it's not what we take from the world, it is what we leave behind. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Super, 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 super you. Oh.